<laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Sachs's Essay Today podcast. My name is Michelle Botcher, and I'm an associate professor at Clemson University. I'm also your host for this program. Today, I'm very pleased to have Suzanne Gordon, Ralph Johnson, and Lisa Bardell Mascaritolo as part of our Saxa History Project, Project series. Co-hosting with me this week is Dr. Tony Coffin. Um, and so these episodes are included in the Essay Today podcast series as a chance to honor and reflect on the past, capture important voices and perspectives, and to connect where we've come from to where we are today and help us chart the future for our organization. So Suzanne, Ralph, and Lisa, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. This should be fun. So we'll we'll talk about your work. We'll talk about your connections with Saxa. But before we do that, if we could just talk about who you are as human beings, um, I think it's nice to kind of appreciate that we are things beyond the work that we do. So if you would, could you share with people a little bit about who you are in terms of hobbies, things you're reading, watching, listening to? whatever it is that you might like to share. And Suzanne, if you don't mind starting, that would be great. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, you know, when I, I first got your, your question and so forth, I was thinking, now, how long has it been? <laughs> and I left uh, Arkansas, the University of Arkansas, 14 years ago. Um, came to, I'm now living in Florida at a place called The Villages, uh, which is sort of a, a 55 plus retirement community. So I'm in the retirements stage right now. And uh, the Villages is a great place to be. We have many, many golf courses and activities and so forth that I get involved in uh, periodically. But um, what I'm most involved in is, uh, let's see, I, I play the ukulele. Oh. So if Saxa has any musical uh, programs coming up, please consider. <laughs> not really, not really. <laughs> and um, let's see, I. Um, I'm very involved in the Presbyterian Church here. Um, I have a RV and and it's for sale actually. I've had it for about five years, and have done some traveling around the country with it and uh, in in Florida. Do a lot of volunteer work and um, enjoy having friends over for for dinner and whatever. And everybody likes to come to Florida, family and friends, and so they're always welcome. I live in about the central part of Florida just a little north of Orlando. But that's sort of where I am now and what I'm doing and relaxing. And the sun is out here. It's uh, going to be about 75 today. Mm. Oh, that's right. We're not we're not live. But anyway, the weather is great. For listeners, we're recording on January 11th. <laughs> so whenever this airs, think about your weather on January 11th. And then... <laughs> schedule your trip to go down to Florida and buy that RV. So, <laughs> right, right, please do. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, Ralph, how about you? Oh, yes. So, uh, hello, everyone. I am so excited to be a part of this, uh, particularly because it's Saxa, but also because of the connections of the three of us who are on uh, today. I am still very actively involved in the profession. I love everything that I'm doing uh, as the vice president for student life at a small faith-based uh, university, which is part of my own faith. So it took a long while to get to this place where I'm working for my particular faith uh, community, but it's really exciting. 
Uh, I spent quite a bit of time working with uh, young people and doing mentoring programs, especially through uh, my fraternity. We have a young, a group of young men now in our Botillion. And uh, I am happy to say that our Botillion program has probably supported uh, close to 300 young men over the 20 years that we've been doing it. And we really push and encourage them to go to college. Uh, and I served as president of my alumni chapter in 2002 when we started the Botillion. And ironically, I am back in the role as president again. That's another story. Uh, <laughs> and I am seeing the 20th anniversary of this experience. So it's very exciting for me. I'm also working, of course, uh, with the Council for the Advancement of Standards in Higher Education. And CAS really takes up a tremendous amount of time, but it is a worthwhile endeavor. And we're looking forward to the uh, release of the 11th, we're now saying rendition because the book that we're going to produce is not going to be in the book format that everybody is accustomed to. So I'm now saying rendition instead of edition. And so that's exciting uh, as we prepare to release that this coming spring. And then I'm just watching my son, who I uh, many of you in Saxa have met when he was a little kid, just grow and blossom and the things that he's doing. And my wife and I are just so proud of, of what he's up to. And I'm also finally trying to uh, restabilize uh, just some things in my own, uh, you know, personal walk and uh, just enjoying life overall. Mm -hmm. uh, I know one of the things that was asked, like, what are we reading now? And I'm going back and reading some uh, things that I missed along the way and uh, just uh, very supportive of the opportunity to encourage young people to read and to really get involved with uh, developing themselves. So that's me in a nutshell. I don't do uh, much of it. Oh, I, I really still enjoy watching classic movies. I get teased about that a lot, but I love them. The 30s, 40s, and 50s movies, I'm constantly watching uh, those and going back and re-watching and just enjoying that overall. Wonderful. And Lisa, who are you yeah. beyond the work that you do? Gosh, it's, it's by the way, thank you so much, Michelle, for putting this together and Tony, but it's just a pleasant to be here with Suzanne and Ralph. There's a lot of connections, as Ralph mentioned as well. But I would say that um, in my part of where I am right now is I'm really living, obviously, overseas. I left the United States almost three and a half years ago. And so Lots of the things that I'm doing still remained, some of my interests remain the same. I love to work out. I love indoor cycling. I like to be competitive with myself and continue to um, do that. I am now on my third Yorkie. My second Yorkie passed away, but I... Um, my new Yorkie, Canela, we spent a lot of time with her and she's very little. So my next passion is traveling. So she has to be little so she could travel with us. And um, since I'm over at the United Arab Emirates, I'm in the middle of the world and I am able to travel easily. COVID did stop a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. But as some of you guys that follow me on Facebook know that I'm still I'm still doing it as much as possible and traveling as much as it possible and um, globally learning all the time I can. Related to, gosh, it's hard. You asked me, what am I on beyond higher education? I love what I do too. And I'm connected globally as well, professionally. So one of the things I love 
is I love to connect people. And I do that through the International Association. SACSA even gets me an opportunity, people that are interested internationally, I get to connect with young ones, um, when I say young, new to the field. So I love that. And that's one of my strengths. And it's something I really enjoy that I'm over here and I'm connecting and be able to continue connecting myself and connecting others. So that's something I do a lot of in my work with the International Association. And then also books, you know, I've been reading since I moved here. I didn't know anything about the Middle East, really. I traveled a lot, um, even through my time with Semester at Sea, but we never really settled into the Middle East. Um, we went to Egypt, but I didn't know a lot. So I'm I'm reading more about um, feminism in the Middle East. I'm interested in understanding more about women and the feminist movement here. And then the geopolitics over here, um, being part of here, I want to understand it more. So I've been reading and going to workshops that some of the faculty put on, like some of our um, women's feminist classes, things like that. So that's really what I'm doing with my time. My husband um, did come with me. So um, we spend um, time together socially with a lot of the other expatriates here. So it's really been a joy. And thank you for asking about what I've been doing. Yeah, for sure. And Tony, I want to give you a chance. You want to share what you're reading what, in all your free time, what you're doing outside of your work obligations. Yeah, um, you know, I think it's interesting. I'm reading a really um, good new book now called um, Washington Next Disputed Monuments honorees and symbols on campus. It is excellent um, conversation about monuments and um, particularly related to higher ed in different states. Uh, I, can't, I can't encourage folks to read it enough. It's a great book. Wonderful. Well, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about your journeys into higher ed and kind of through your careers to wherever you are at this point. And Ralph, if you wouldn't mind starting us off this time. Sure. Uh, so I have the quintessential student affairs story. I was very involved as an undergraduate at the University of Alabama. By the time I reached my junior year, I realized I did not want to be a speech pathologist. Uh, and what killed me was the um, when I had to do clinicals with young kids and they put me with kindergartners. Didn't work so well. Did not work so well. <laughs> So I was telling uh, someone, uh, in fact, it was a student who was a year ahead. I hate my major, but I don't want to stay at Alabama one minute longer than four years. I don't want to change my major. What do I do? So you're so involved. You ought to go into student affairs. My question was, well, what's that? So we got past that. Long story short, uh, he was on his way to Florida State. So he said, you know what? I'm going to go to Florida State. You should come down and meet this amazing woman named Mel Hardy. And I did that. I graduated on May the 8th. And about May 12th, I was on my way to Tallahassee to uh, meet uh, this Hardy lady. And I was completely intimidated. But long story short, I ended up getting into the program and finished the master's and started my uh, job hunt. And I landed at the University of Arkansas. Now, here's the funny story. The person who hired me at Arkansas was Dr. Lyle Gaughan, who was the vice chancellor for student service. While he was looking for me, 
looking for the Greek coordinator. He was also looking for the dean of students. So we both interviewed that summer of uh, 1982. I did not meet Suzanne, my supervisor, until we both started this job. <laughs> but it just worked out. It was an amazing experience. And I had a, a fantastic experience overall at Arkansas. There were challenges because mm -hmm. of, of my role and what I was doing. But at the same time, I had tremendous support from Suzanne and Dr. Gahn and other folks at Arkansas. And so after three years, I ended up going to University of South Carolina. And I went from Greek life to multicultural student affairs and worked there for almost 10 years before. And while there, I received my PhD. And then I left there and headed north to uh, Maryland. We thought it was the north uh, to <laughs> become the uh, director of multicultural affairs at Johns Hopkins University. And I had no idea that I would stay at Hopkins for 16 years, but I did. Uh, and I went from the director of multicultural student affairs to associate dean of students before I actually transitioned out. And I had an opportunity to do something that a lot of us don't get to do in student affairs. I actually was appointed the interim provost at uh, Washington Adventist University. And I served in that role for a little more than a year uh, before I actually uh, ended up coming into the role I'm in now uh, through, um, well, I became the dean of our Center for Student Success at Washington Adventist University. And then right before the pandemic, I was appointed vice president for student life. Through all of that, I stayed actively involved with SACSA. I was telling some folks this past um, uh, meet conference that that was my 40th consecutive SACSA conference. Wow. Suzanne, I blame Suzanne because she told me I was <laughs> gonna have to join SACSA. And uh, she had me presenting at the very first conference. I'm like, hi, I, I just walked into the door. And she throws me onto the stage to lead the recognitions committee, my very first SACSA conference, and I was sold at that point. And I've also been involved with NASPA, but uh, most recently, the love of my life is also working with CAS because it's just a tremendous opportunity. So very quickly, that was my journey in higher ed. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Lisa, you're shaking your head. What's your what's your story and your sort of route through? Yes. Well, it's similar to Ralph. So I was very involved on campus as well. I was a first generation college student, couldn't afford much. So I just wasn't sure that I could continue on to grad school. I was a business major. I too didn't, I kept switching majors. So it ended up five years it took me to graduate, but I had so much fun that it really didn't matter because I was involved <laughs> in campus life. I became, I founded a sorority, which I never thought I would do a sorority, but that's after being an RA, RA for two years. I'm like, well, what am I going to do now? So I started the sorority, ended up being the first president. So I mean, my journey was similar to Ralph's that someone said, why don't you go into student affairs? I'm like, I can't afford grad school. And basically someone said, well, you should apply for assistantships and walk me through that process. So, and I ended up at Florida State as well. I didn't meet Dr. Hardy at first, but I remember my first couple of days that I thought, oh my gosh, I better turn around. Am I going to make it? <laughs> So I was so scared. Yes. <laughs> I mean, this is the reaction we get, but then you just love her too. And I started and I walked into her class and I was like, 
blown away about her teaching. I was blown away about her lessons. I was blown away on how extroverted, how extroverted she made the class, even though she wasn't in some ways. If you would, I didn't always feel like she was extroverted, but what she did in class, I would have been exhausted. I still don't know if anyone can replicate how she taught, but it was just amazing. So my Florida State experience was um, scary at times because I was a business major and I do a lot of writing. I had to switch gears and that wasn't easy. If it wasn't for some of my colleagues also in housing, um, I don't think I would have survived because that was what my assistantship was in. But um, I loved Florida State. Um, and of course, um, we'll talk about that a little bit more later as well. But then I was in housing and then I kind of moved in the path of staying in housing and decided I had a lot of firsts. Like I started being involved with um, when I got to University of Miami, I was in the first class that started the residential life. Um, Pam Schreiber started and I can't remember what it was. Now it's the James Grimm, Jim Grimm Residential Life Institute. I was in the first class that wanted to be a director. So I stayed in that path to be a director 15 years and I stayed in the path. I did stay in Florida um, throughout the career until I became a director of residential life um, at the University of Tampa, um, but did go to university, worked at University of Miami and Barry University in Florida before that in housing. And then a couple of times there were little stopouts and that was with semester at sea. And I first went on a voyage on, in 1992, and I graduated, just to give you an idea, I graduated at Florida State in 89. So early on in my career, um, semester at sea was an important point in my life. And being a first gen, I'll just circle back on this, and I'm trying not to think too long, I never thought I could study abroad. That was just never something I thought I could do. But this idea to try to do it in grad school. And it was through the um, Residential Life Institute that they started, the National Housing Training Institute, NHTI, I got it now. Through that, I met someone and you know, you see, that was such a great experience. It was an intense experience. And Kent, Kent Sampson recommended me to look into Semester at Sea. So the contacts there were just great. So anyway, and then I went again in summer 03. That was after being a director of residence life for four and a half years at University of Tampa and decided I was ready to decide if I wanted to be in a larger institution being in, um, in housing because I did finish my PhD as well. Or did I want to go lateral and do something else? And I decided I wanted to go the Dean for Students route. So, with that, I took a semester at C position in a summer. And then I, some people said I was crazy. I didn't have a job when I returned, but I made it six months later. I ended up at um, Florida Atlantic University as associate dean um, for students overseeing um, Greek life, a lot of different things in the student's office. So it was fantastic. Anyway, and then um, that led me, um, after FAU, I met my partner, my husband, and we left Florida. People thought, how is she ever leaving Florida? No one believed I would leave. And I 
ended up New York. It was hard because Saxa and Florida and a lot of different things, but I ended up working there for 11 years and was ended up being the senior student affairs officer. And now I am in United Arab Emirates as the executive director of student experience at American University of Sharjah. Um, I started as vice provost for student life and was reporting into the provost, but then the new chancellor, our first female chancellor at the university, asked me to move under her. And um, because we came up with this title that resonated with her, she was a president in Canada. So anyway, that's a little bit of my story. I think at this point, this will be my last administrative job. And I'm excited about what's next. Um, I've always taught. So um, with Purdue Global and management and leadership, because my PhD was in leadership. So that's a little bit about, sorry, a long journey, but that's a little bit about me. Thank you so much. And Suzanne, how about you? Well, I'm first generation too. Uh, I was raised by a, a single mom and we didn't have much money. And so I really didn't intend to go to college and thought, didn't think it was going to be possible. But my first job after high school was at IBM and as a switchboard operator. Uh, if you know how Lily Tomlin used to put the, the cords <laughs> in it and pull them out, well, that's what I did, you know, the morning, IBM and so forth. But that's where I started first. But they were very, it was a very good move for me because they had a tuition remission plan. Mm -hmm. And so it allowed me to go to uh, Youngstown State university in a part-time uh, manner. And I did that for a couple of years and then really realized that it was going to take me forever unless I went full-time. And so I did go full-time um, and I was about ready to graduate and I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but I knew that there was a, uh, she was a Dean of Women and she had her office in Old Maine. And I thought, well, I'm going to go and talk to her and see if she could sort of direct me or give me some ideas. Well, I she had a corner office in Old Main. I walked in. She had this big, wonderful desk. Um, she had, uh, there was pa uh, walnut paneling all the way around the, the office. I mean, it was a beautiful office. And it didn't take me long to say to her, I think I'd like to do what you do. <laughs> I think it was more, more uh, interested in the office and the accounting. <clears throat> than I was in the program. But she told me that, yes, there was a path for me and that uh, Kent State, which was just down the road, had a student personnel program. And so I started there full time. Um, now, doing my undergraduate work, obviously I wasn't involved in, in university life at all. So the first year I was a resident director in one of the residence halls and got that experience. And then the second year, I was advisor to sororities. And that was really very helpful, too, because I didn't know anything about uh, that, you know, part of student activities. One of the things that happened um, after I finished my program there at Kent, I went to Waynesburg College, which is a Presbyterian college in Pennsylvania. And I was on the plane with somebody. I'm sure I was going to a Saxa conference. And I don't remember the woman's name that I was sitting next to, unfortunately. But she was looking at a brochure that had um, programs for women in administration. And uh, they, there was a program there uh, the, uh, at Harvard University, the International Education Program, I believe. 
Well, I got that information from her and I decided that I was going to apply for it. And that's something as I was re thinking all about this that I've noticed throughout my life, I'm always ready to raise my hand. Yes, I'll do that. <laughs> or, you know, take advantage of opportunities that come up. Um, and so I did. I went to the, uh, the program at, at Harvard for six weeks in the summertime. Again, was supported by by those folks that I reported to, which is another another thought that I had, is that as I've moved around, I've always looked for what kind of development am I going to have? Who am I going to be working with? Right. Are they going to support my involvement in in associations, professional associations? And um, Ralph, going back to what you said earlier, and when you went from uh, South Carolina to to Maryland, I must mm -hmm. tell this story on you. And that is that um, Ralph said, I'm not even looking at positions that not, are not in the Saxa area. Right. I'm just not going to do that. And of course he didn't. And thank you for not doing it, Ralph, <laughs> because we're all better off for that. But um, I too uh, got involved with Dr. Hardy. I went to a NASPA conference. She was presenting. I had never seen anything like that before in my life. I thought it was wonderful. Um, at the end, I mean, everybody stood up. They were just clapping and clapping for her. And I thought, I want to be a part of that. And so I wrote her a letter. And I said, you know, I this was in Dallas. I said, I was at NASPA. You spoke in Dallas. Uh, I was very impressed uh, with what you said and blah, blah, blah. I'd like to be a part of your program. And so she said, well, come on over. I did. And uh the next year I was a part of the program, uh, the uh, the doctoral program at, at Florida State. Let me see what else. Then, well, then I really started the career and, and most of it was at uh, smaller institutions, uh, religious base. The first one was a Presbyterian. The second one was uh, Southwestern in Texas and that was Methodist. Uh, and then I went to Florida State and uh, after that, I, I thought, no, I'd really like to try a larger institution. And so that's where I ended up at the University of Arkansas and was there for 20, 20 plus years. So it's been a, a, a good journey. Um, I think for those that are maybe listening to this, I would really encourage you to raise your hand for whatever opportunities may come. Uh, always be alert for, for what they are and, and don't be afraid to get involved. Wonderful. And you all have um, started to allude to some of this, but we talk all the time about how student affairs, it's a small world. And if you don't know somebody, you know someone who knows them. Who have been some of those key people for you? Um, and not just even people who have mentored you, but people that maybe you have mentored and developed those relationships with. Um, and Lisa, I think it's your turn to go first, if you're ready. Uh, who, who have some of your connections been? Well, I have to say Dr. Hardee's comes up there really strong. She's, she's a connector as well. And I said, that's something that I learned down the road. I really enjoy. So my, um, love for her is just quadrupled sometimes when I think about my life and just following the paths of even being a president for SACSA. So, and we, and what 
Suzanne says is there was like, you had to say yes to Dr. Hardy. Early on in my career, there was no saying no. So she was such a mentor that no matter what, she told me I was going to SACSA. I was presenting too. I mean, there was no choice in the matter. She put three of us on a program, you know, to do a program proposal and, and so forth. So her and the LifeNet, not just her, but the LifeNet we're talking yeah. about, two people on this, on the screens with me, Ralph and Suzanne. And Suzanne was president. I remember her and I couldn't remember. And that's why I asked before you even came on, Suzanne, is thinking about even you, like just seeing you woman as a role model and Dr. Hardy, all these people. And so I guess I would say to you that also the mentorship through SACSA and the people and the network there, because that was important to Dr. Hardy. We had to be connected. You also connected me when I went on my first semester at Sea Voyage, when I got back. No, when I got back from my first semester, she connected me with Steve um, Laughlin. I mean, just like continually these connections. And I feel like that's something that I try to do too. And you mentioned Michelle about mentoring others. Kat Callahan ended up getting her PhD at Florida State. And, um, and Sherry Callahan told me that she was interested in international stuff. And I think Suzanne, you and I met internationally on some interests with NASPA. So I think that all these things start connecting and these people that become part of um, you because of your connections. But I would say that, you know, it's hard for me to stop. I could keep naming like if I look at the life net that Dr. Hardy started early on in my career in 87 and then going to Saxa, Joe Buck is a huge person for me. Um, even though I haven't stayed involved, he's always been an important part of um, who I am. And then there's someone at Phyllis McCluskey Titus. And then I would just say that my international interests and in, that I feel like I play a role now with a lot of younger professionals and mentoring them that are interested in um, working internationally, or I like to say being an international educator um, and interested in understanding student affairs um, comparatively globally. So all those kind of keywords, um, but those people that started me in that area were Ken Osfield, Roger Ludman, John mm -hmm. Dalton, because he was, another FSU person. So these are just some people that come to my name, my, my, the name. And now with IASIS, just broadening my connections, doing research, which I never thought I would do. Dr. Hardy told me I was the worst writer. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I worked hard and now I'm actually writing. This yet is you, like, yet, yet you still loved her. <laughs> right. You had to. <laughs> The weirdest thing, but anyway, so anyway, just that's just what I would say. But thank you. This is just great to rethink about all these memories. Wonderful. How about you, Suzanne? Who have been? It sounds like there's some overlap between the three of you with at least one person. So, who are yes. some for you? Yes, that's very true. Doctor Hardy is certainly a, a has been an important part of all of our lives. Um, and the life net, as you said, Lisa, uh, you know, she ingrained that in us. And uh, it, it's been so helpful. And just being able to pick up the phone. And unfortunately, if you say Florida State or I'm a Florida State graduate, I mean, the doors open mm -hmm. and that's just the way it is. Um, and that's the way we feel. And that's the way we uh, welcome 
hopefully everybody. Uh, but that's always been, you know, uppermost in my mind. Another, uh, a fella who has, was important in my life too, was the first fellow that I worked with at Waynesburg College, uh, Steve Markwood. And I'll tell you why it was helpful in that he first introduced me to TIA and CREFT and budgeting and preparing for retirement. And of course, now I can speak to that very well right now. But, um, you know, I, I thought back and I thought that was, that was uh, extremely important. And we've, we've talked about that over the years, um, how important it is to, to budget your money and plan forward. And I don't know that that's being done to any great, any intentional extent right now. I hope it is. Um, but I do think that that's important. And he was important in, in my life at that time. Um, the other, um, uh, program that I was involved in with Clemson, really to a great extent, the University of Arkansas, some extent, that was the study tours abroad and for graduate students in higher ed and really taking them to um, oh, Ireland and Scotland and England and introducing them to study to, uh, to student affairs uh, there. And so I'm still in touch with some of those students and, and that's been, been good too. But um, budgeting, retirement, TIA and craft, Dr. Hardy, and, uh, and really paying it forward with the study tours, uh, international study tours. Uh, and certainly the professional organizations, both SACSA and NASPA, as you said, Lisa, uh, were instrumental in all of that. And I still have friends uh, internationally that I, that I talk with and involved with, it, at least on holidays. Um, and that was a great experience for the, me and, and I hope it was for a lot of them also. Great. Ralph, who are your people? So, so many, I, and I will try to limit what I really uh, want to say, but, you know, to these folks on this call right now, I mean, the, the, the network is absolutely tremendous. Suzanne was my very first supervisor as a professional, and we're still good friends to this day. I, in fact, I call her my big sister. Uh, when I talk about her, I say, you know, she's my big sister. She will protect me and she will support me. And she has been doing that. But we also have uh, put those networks out uh, with our students. There is one student that the three of us have in common, not student, a former student, and that's uh, Keith Jenkins. Dr. Wow. Keith Jenkins was an undergraduate student at the University of Arkansas when I started working there. He knew Dr. Suzanne very well. And then I, uh, he wanted to go to Florida State to do his um, PhD in communication. So I literally drove him from Fayetteville, Arkansas down to Tallahassee one summer. And then he uh, became uh, involved with the residential life program at Florida State and they met Lisa. Uh, and so that connection to me is always very special because it just shows you, it's generational in, in, in many ways. Uh, and that's, but there are so many, I don't even, I, I, if I start, I'll miss some folks, but suffice it to say that within that uh, uh, life net, which, by the way, was a very intentional um, part of Hardy. Uh, she, those were her exact words, the life net. And she talked a lot about the life net and how important it was for us to support each other uh, who have gone through that program at Florida State. Uh, but, you know, when I got ready to leave Florida State and I decided to uh to look and I looked at Arkansas 
it was really funny because uh, I actually had so many connections through uh, SAXA that the move from Florida State to Arkansas wasn't difficult at all. And then the move from uh, Arkansas to University of South Carolina was another smooth transition. I mean, all those transitions were easy because of the different individuals that were part of my life professionally and many of them personally uh, as a result of just uh, starting at that program at Florida State. I, I tell people, you know, I have first generation as well. And uh, when I went to Alabama, I had no idea how my life would end up, but I sort of fell into this wonderful experience by going to Florida State and meeting all these folks and then just going into student affairs and the uh, career path that I was able to take. It was all because of these connections that we had with uh, so many individuals. Uh, I, quick example, then I'll, I'll stop. When I was applying to Florida State, I did not realize that the then provost at University of Arkansas was a hardy person, Dr. Mm -hmm. Richard Thigpen. Now, the irony here is that I was a very vocal student leader, and there were some issues that I wasn't very kind <laughs> with the administration about. And I was I really just kind of gave Dr. Thigpen a piece of my mind in an open forum. I'm confessing. And, <laughs> Circle back, and someone says, well, you know, uh, uh, I think it was Dr. Hardy when I was applying, you know, Ricky Thigpen, that's what she called him, uh, was one of my students. You really should ask him for a recommendation. You know that I actually had the nerve to do it after, <laughs> I, after I had laid him out in a public forum on campus. But he was so gracious, and he's so kind, and he wrote the most wonderful recommendation letter for me, and that meant a lot to me, and I thanked him so much for that. But anyway, I could go on and on about uh, all that we've done uh, in student affairs through SACSA, through NASPA, through CAS. Yeah. We're just so connected uh, that that uh, phrase, six degrees of separation, mm -hmm. I think it's two degrees of separation. That's yeah. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Oh. Well, before I, I shift to sort of the scripted part, Tony, I just want to do a check in with you and see. If you have any additional comments or questions, I know you'll jump in when you do, but I'm going to pretend like I have some yeah. control. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's just interesting to hear the power of the connections and the relationships, you know, uh, and that's what I hope folks that are listening here is those relationships matter, you know, and, and they will help you throughout your life, both personally and professionally. This group obviously has a, both a personal connection as well as a professional one. And we could all hope for that in our own career. So it's really, I don't know, it makes my heart feel good to hear, just to see the three of you interact because um, you feel the warmth and the love. As we, again, shift gears a little bit, we're going to talk about some things you've already talked about, but let's let's move to SACSA specifically. So um, if you haven't already shared, how did you first get engaged with SACSA and, you know, what's been the role of that organization for you? There are lots of places that will take your time. Why was SACSA the place that, one of the places that you invested? And at this point, whoever would like to start. I wouldn't mind saying a few things. Um, I think I, you know, I mentioned Hardy telling, you know, we had to do a program proposal um, and 
I just fell in love with Saxa the first time I went. I mean, Joe Buck was there too, and it was the first person that I met. But one of the things is I got involved in the new professional committee right afterwards. Like, you know, that was how I started to get engaged. Um, and then I somehow got on the board for 11 years. I'm not quite sure why so long they had to transition. I, I still can't figure out why I was, and I would, it's just crazy. I was thinking about it. And I really grew up in Saxa. I mean, personally, I grew up as a person. These people that were on the board with me saw the ugly Lisa, the new Lisa, the, whatever you're talking about, Ralph. No, but I'm serious. Like the naive Lisa to like professional, someone that could speak in front of people. I mean, I just grew up in Saxa personally and professionally. And so for me, it was throughout those years and actually it was probably even some of the mid-year meetings that I would just grow from, that we would always have. And so I think that, um, I mean, I won't go any more, but I think that Saxa, the other piece that was very clear to me and um, what Dr. Hardy said, and it's still in my brain about Saxa, she would tell the story about how Saxa started and how they weren't able to, her colleagues that were African-American, Black at the, you know, Black couldn't meet with her and they wanted to organize things together and they couldn't. That stuck with me. And that was really something that was very like annoying. Like it was literally annoying, like, you know, annoyance that that would really happen and that how Saxa brought everyone together and how she was a piece of that. And I said, I want to do that. I wanted to be a piece of that. So that's about, and so the equity lens and the diversity mm -hmm. and seeing diverse people get involved throughout the time of SACSA has been something that's a joy, truly. Yeah, yeah Lisa, your, com your comment makes me think, you know, SACSA had a woman president and a person, uh, an African-American male president way before NASPA and ACPA did, right? historically. So it is an organization that has lived its values. You know, yeah. we wouldn't go to certain hotels because uh, Black people and white people couldn't stay together. So um, that, that I think we all should be grateful yes. for those early folks who who lived, who, who walked the talk. Mm -hmm. They lived it. And uh, I'm forever grateful to them. You know, I, I've been rereading the two dissertations that have been written about the history of Saxa. And Mm -hmm. You think, wow, what a what an opportunity those people had, and what we what opportunity we get to live yes. on that legacy. So, very very powerful. Absolutely, and I have to tell you, stepping into Saxa, so I was introduced to Saxa. It wasn't Saxa at the time through Hardy when we were in our graduate program, and she made it very clear that we all needed to go to uh, forgotten what it was called at the time. We all needed to go to that. Uh, so we dutifully went to that. And we also went to the, uh, they used to have a very active uh, job uh, uh, career portion of that. So we went to that as well, looking for our first jobs. In fact, that's where I first applied for the position at the University of Arkansas. Never, ever, ever thinking that I really get that position. Uh, but, you know, we'll come to that later. But when I did get the position and I started uh, at Arkansas, and I wasn't joking, I was literally in my office minding my business. Down the hall walks Suzanne, 
Well, you know, uh, SACS is coming up and uh, my friend Kathy Faircloth is the program chair and a program just got canceled. I want you to put together a program on uh, what you're doing at Greek Life. I hadn't been there but three months, you know? <laughs> but see, I'm like, what do I say? So I said, you know, you'll come up with something. And I did. And we all <laughs> went to Jackson, Mississippi for the first SACSA conference. And I was just blown away. All these luminaries in the field that were in the Southeast were there. You're talking about folks like Bob Leach and, oh, yeah. uh, Bob you know, Leach. You know, just I was just blown Fred away. Rose. And then Suzanne comes to me and says, oh, the uh, person who is over the resolutions can't be at the conference. Will you do the resolutions? So I'm in front of Saxa, my very first one. And, you know, I was just sold at that point. And then when Suzanne became president and uh, she was just an amazing president, and I say that, you know, whether she's on the call or not, she was an amazing president. And I decided then I want to be president and I want to emulate uh, what uh, Suzanne did. And I did a lot of what I did in my presidency, I sort of mirrored after what she did because she was the first Saxon president uh, to bring all of the leadership team, including the committee chairs together for a dinner before the conference started. And I did the same thing for my conference. And I think we're the only two that did that, Suzanne. Really? So, uh, <laughs> I think, I think. Uh, and so, it was just amazing to be a part of that. And I, uh, it has been valued. And Suzanne is absolutely right. When I was looking for my next job, I had to take out the SACSA, you know, the little diagram we have of all the states to make sure Maryland was in there before I ever applied for the position at Johns Hopkins. And when I applied for the position at Hopkins, I literally had to convince everyone I had not left the SACSA region because everyone thought, oh my God, you're leaving SACSA. I'm like, no, I wouldn't do that. Uh, if you look at our little diagram, there's Maryland right there. And so that's how yeah. I was able to leave uh, with some peace of mind and come up to Maryland to work. But it, it's been a wonderful journey with Saxa. I just, I, 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 it's my, Lisa said it right. I grew up in Saxa. And that's what I would say too, Ralph. I grew up in Saxa. You know, it was my, my first job um, at Southwestern University. Bill Swift said, you know, we're going to Saxa. Okay. And, and that began you know, a, a wonderful, wonderful journey is you talked about uh, Joe Buck. I remember that he was at the registration desk where everybody came in. He and a number of the old timers, if you were, those that were continuing anyway, were there to welcome the new people coming in. And Saxa has always had their arms wide open for, for new professionals and taken them by their hand or our hands and, and led them through the organization. And uh, I think without a doubt, that is the, the strength of SACSA. Um, you know, you would go to a conference and it would be like going to a family reunion. Uh, you know, you're hugging, you're, you know, want to know what's happening with the family. You want to know what's going on in their university. Yes, but you want to know what's going on with them personally. and. Um, and that's something that that I've missed a lot um, in going in not going to Saxa. I must say, though, the last time I went, I didn't know very many people at Saxa. At we don't either, Suzanne. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be the same way, Suzanne, for me. <laughs> yeah. So that was a little bit different, I must say. But um, Saxa has just been a um, you know a crowning point in in my life. Um, 
for many, many reasons. And, and all of those reasons are involved with individuals in SACSA. It's a very strong organization for new professionals and those who are always there to welcome them. What are some of the, the challenges that you've seen the organization navigate or that maybe you were directly involved with helping the organization work through? Yeah, some of the, what were some of those issues that you dealt with? Well, I think that, um, I mean, one of them was budget. And that was, we had some serious um, years of, of uh, not having very much money and really right. trying to stretch the money. And sometimes it didn't seem to go. Um, but when Joe Buck came on, um, things got a, a little bit better and I couldn't, can't even remember who was in before him, but that was trying who was before Joe? We did not we have, have any. No, no one, no one. Well, no wonder I don't <laughs> no know. One. That's what I was going to point out. Joe was yeah. the first. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we didn't have yeah. anyone directing. Okay. Well, that he, he put us on the right track, but, but that certainly was one of the, uh, one of the issues that I remember is that was that was budget. It may have been because Ralph, you and I had that dinner for those law for all the leadership team. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure, but yeah, you did it. You you caused we the issue. We broke the budget. <laughs> okay. you, shouldn't you shouldn't have confessed to that, Ralph. <laughs> well, you guys tell me. Do you remember whose conference was going to be in Orlando and it got canceled? That's what I remember. I was involved. And I don't, I think it was James Keneally. He was president. Jim, it was, it was Jim. I was program chair for Jim. Right. Okay. He had to cancel yeah. that conference. And I remember those budget conversations. It was grim. It yes, was sir. really like, it was, I just want to say it was a really bad point in time for mm -hmm. Saxo. Yeah. And, 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 well, and in the end, we didn't cancel because of the financial piece, but only yeah. about a hundred people, only about a hundred people were there. That's it. <laughs> It was like being at a memorial. It was, you know, we were just all stunned in a hotel with a few people and we we still paid a penalty, but thank goodness for Jim Keneally who saved us and got that penalty lowered. But but um, it was a significant financial hit. Yeah. Well, actually, COVID this last couple of years has made that even more so. Okay. Yeah, because I haven't been involved, but I do remember those financial. And I do remember being on the board when we had the executive director. He was part time. I'm going to just tell a story, and maybe someone's already said this, but Joe was, we asked Joe to be a part time executive director. And I don't know, if, Ralph, were you on the board then? I can't remember if you were there too. When no, we I, not at that. No, I had left the board at that point, I believe. Yes. So, and I remember we couldn't get him to take a salary for like most of the time I was there. We even tried to give him a little salary. I don't, I think he played part-time executive director with no salary for many, 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 many um, to get us on track. So that was a challenge. And that's always been a challenge for sex, I think, you know, and that's why the foundation was so important too, making that decision there too, I think. That's what I would say. Yes, yeah. I think you're right. Right. And of course, we've always uh, struggled with membership, especially what I'll call the peripheral states, Maryland being one. I think oh. I've been one of two to three people to actually be members of uh, SACSA in Maryland the entire time that mm -hmm. I've been involved. And so you have those, and we've done so many things to try to get more people you know, from those peripheral states, Oklahoma, 
even Texas to some degree, Maryland, we just don't see a large number of folks uh, coming to Saxa from those states. And that's still a struggle and still a challenge that we certainly would like to address. Uh, in addition to that, I think uh, we've also had to really work with how we balance uh, graduate students, new professionals, vis-a-vis seasoned professionals, making sure that we have programming that would appeal to both uh, segments, uh, encourage both segments to be actively involved in the association uh, is, is, is still a challenge to some degree as well uh, because of the cost factor of no other reason. Uh, we welcome and encourage you know, graduate students and brand new professionals, but we also realize that uh, having seasoned professionals there really help. You know, Lisa and I, and even Suzanne, talked about how we grew up in Saxo because these seasoned professionals were always around us. You know, it wasn't like NASPA or ACPA where they were a little more, and I'm using this word generally, aloof or distant. They were like right there with us. And having those seasoned professionals really helps uh, younger professionals mature in, uh, in, in the profession. And they're not coming as much as they used to. And so that's a challenge. It's like, how do we also uh, really recapture more of the seasoned uh, senior student affairs folks to uh, continue supporting SACSA. Yeah, Ralph, yeah that's, that's, a, great. that's a great point, Ralph, because you know this past couple of years, we've struggled with getting senior student affairs officers. And this year at Birmingham, we actually had 60, which was a shocker to all of us. And we're not, we're not really sure what we did right. <laughs> differently, but it's such a more rich conference when you have that interaction with grad students, new professionals, mid-managers, and seasoned people. You know, it makes the conference stronger for all of us. Oh, absolutely. Um, and and we've got to find ways to continue to do that. I mean, I would just come to the conference and sit in awe, you know, proverbially sit at their feet and learn. Oh. And, I, you know, that's just, it's priceless, right? <laughs> it is. I, I agree. There was a, I agree. I, there's one other thing I remember too, some tension, and this was interesting for me professionally because I started becoming involved with NASPA and the International Education Knowledge Community, but at the same time, there was struggling with NASPA Region 3 and its role with SACSA. Yes. Um, so that I have to mention, that was, that was a real challenge. And I'm not even sure how that's operating as much now, but there was even... And I remember us being, and I don't know if this is totally accurate, but even at one point, Region 3 wanting maybe SACSA to be part of NASPA Region 3, but there was no way we were going to lose the history of SACSA. And I just remember being very vehemently opposed. And it was interesting because I think, Suzanne, you were on NASPA Region 3 leadership too, weren't you? Yes, I was. Uh -huh. So I just remember some of this a little, so I do remember sometimes figuring out the balance of working with NASPA. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not sure, you know, but that was something I remember too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is, is SACSA still connected with NASPA 3 as a conference? Yes, there's still some, there's, there's still a collaboration. Okay. Oh, I mean, yeah, I get you know, it. You know, historically, they used to meet as a conference after us or before right. us. Before us. Now that doesn't happen, but we do have a memorandum of, of understanding. So, for example, the NASPA Region Three Board meets at our conference. You know, yeah. so we we've yeah. actually we've actually finalized we put into writing what our relationship would be 
Uh, so they do meet at our conference. They do market it. You get the member rate if you're an ASPA person. And then they're doing the same thing for us for their summer symposium. Uh, right. And then obviously we coordinate a lot with mid-managers and um, new mm -hmm. professionals institute. Those are those are two joint projects we do together. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, there were a couple of presidents recently that really tried to solidify that relationship in writing so that we didn't That's continue good. to have some of those, who does this, who does what, what is exactly. this about? Um, and so uh, we, we, we've made great strides in that. Uh, and I think we have a great relationship right now, uh, the working relationship with our colleagues in Nashville Region 3. Great. Well, and that's actually a great transition to the next question, which is about change um, during your experiences with NASPA. How how did the organization evolve? Um, hopefully mostly steps forward, but if there were, you know, steps backward and how how have you seen it change over time based on your experiences? Well, I'll start by saying that uh, from its beginning, SAXA has been a very independent, very strong organization that has stood and continues to stand on its own. Mm -hmm. And when we were collaborating uh, with NASPA Region 3, we were always confident that if there was a separation that we'd be fine. <laughs> there was never a question. We'd be the ones that'd be fine because SAXA has its own. Uh, and I, as much as we value the, the collaboration between NASPA Region 3 and SAXA, we always knew that SAXA would, you know, my loyalty was, and I don't mean that I'm not loyal to NASPA Region 3 when I was in that region, but the fact that my first allegiance was to SAXA and to make sure SAXA would survive, to make sure SAXA was strong. And so over time, uh, that has, uh, SAXA has sustained itself. And so uh, I, I don't think that there are any on link, ongoing lingering challenges other than what we've just uh, discussed because SAXA has been so strong and independent that uh, we just didn't, I, it never occurred to me that we would be the one to endanger. Mm -hmm. I think we all felt that way too, Ralph. I mean, that, that SAXA, uh, that it was important for SAXA to maintain um, its strength within, and primarily it was NASPA Region 3, but but that SAXA was the organization that was, I hate to say more important, but was professionally more important. Yeah, and I think what you're saying, Susan, I think what I always felt like when I, I would say to people, they'd be like, well, why were you, what was SAXA? Because I did move out of the region, right? So I was in, and there's no Norska. I remember someone saying, <laughs> No, seriously, for some reason, I remember someone saying, and I would, again, explain how important the history, and I would I would share with people the history of Saxon. And there were times when I was in New York, I went to the conference and brought people from Pace University mm -hmm. to the conference so they could experience it. And everything that Suzanne said and Ralph said about the conference and how I feel about it too, my those professionals I brought from Pace University in New York felt the same way when they got there. They're like, Lisa, the values are there. I mean, you really live these values you told me about this, you know? So I think, so I, I always say that there's no other association like that 
in the United States? No, you know? not at all. And, and, and I would just want to say one more thing. And I think my interest of grassroots organizations, because of we didn't have an executive director and we worked so hard before we got Joe Stable. And I know there was a lot more work going on when I left. So I'm not just saying this, but even my interest now with the International Association, we started, I'm doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. I, you know what I mean? I feel like I'm, and you did it too, Ralph, with Cass. I mean, I feel like some of us, that was what attracted me to SACSA more and getting involved than NASPA in some ways. It was, you know, there was a lot of driven central work that someone was doing for you. We didn't have that with um, Right, SACSA. we didn't. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, will, I will say what I think we see now is we all see we're stronger by being more collaborative. So you hear us say the SACSA yeah. conference with NASPA Region 3. You know, that is the official tagline. Right. The SACSA yep. conference with NASPA, not the SACSA conference. It's the SACSA conference with NASPA Region Three, because we're we're stronger. We're the same people. It's the same exactly. people in both in both organizations, um, and it is the unique piece that other regions in NASPA don't, don't have, because they don't have a independent regional organization that's healthy and strong and historical in their area. So. Uh, I, I really think we're at a good place with that relationship, and that's been a lot of work, a lot of work of a lot of hard people, a lot of work, a lot of work for many, many hard people. And it's the only generalist organization like that. There's a CEO. exactly. That's yeah. what I think key too is the generalist work with SACSA. But anyway, sorry, I could go on. But thank you. That's this is great conversation about that time period. Mentioning that, let, let me just mention one thing real quickly that I am constantly bragging about is that for the Council for the Advancement of Standards in Higher Education, known as CAS, in order to be a member of CAS, your organization has to have a national, international scope to be a full-fledged member of CAS. SACSA petitioned to join CAS, although we're a regional association, and we were granted permission as to be an associate member. And for 10 years, we were associate members without a vote. After that 10th year, CAS granted us a vote at the table. So we are the only regional association that has ever been a part of CAS. And fast forward that, I am the first one to serve as president of CAS coming from this regional association. And I make sure people understand that because that's an important part of our history at SACSA. Well, it's a significant achievement. I mean, you know, it's, it's it's it made us. Yes, we're we're a regional organization, but we have an international. We have a national impact. The journal board is the same way. We have people on the journal board now that are associate editors that are not from the southern region, but that that national perspective. CAS did that. The board, the journal board, did that. No, I agree, Tony, because that was another thing I remember, too, is how strong our journal was in conversations yeah. about that. And I, I didn't at that point, I don't think we were had national advisory board like you just mentioned. But that was something that was always a bragging point, too, about SACSA was our journal. Yes, yeah. And it's always yeah. been a contentious point because it's expensive. And when we were heard when we were worried about budgets, <laughs> but we, we stuck to it. We didn't get rid of it. <laughs> But it would have been an easy budget cut, you know, to go back to Suzanne's point about struggling for money. That's a that's a high expense cost. It was then because it was all print. Now it's electronic. It's actually a little bit cheaper. Yeah. No, I remember those conversations. And I remember, Ralph, about CAS, too. I think I was on the board at that time. 
Yeah. Something else that uh, SACSA is doing or has done and continuing to do is strengthening Reg NASPA Region 3 because mm -hmm. as, as new professionals come up through SACSA, in many cases, they will stay within Region 3 then as their positions change and they bring with them that uh, that approach that, uh, you know, don't want to use the life net too much, but it, that uh, willingness to work together to support um, young professionals. And so I really believe that it, it strengthens regions, SACSA strengthens region three. And because I became a NASPA member because of the relationship with SACSA. I didn't even know about ACPA for years. I mean, I really didn't think about it. Yeah. yeah, and I became NASPA president as a result of, of SACSA, so. Yeah. And she tried to lure me into that, too. We all got, I know. That's right. <laughs> You've done such a beautiful job of highlighting the strengths of the organization and the, that communal relationship component. What are... And, and maybe you want to build on that, but what are some other things that just have been, this is what SACSA is. These are, this is what you can expect. This is, you know, some of those strengths of the organization over time. What, yeah, what sorts of things come to mind? Yeah, if you were selling it to a grad student or selling yeah. it to a new professional, you know, what's the three-minute elevator speech? Come to SACSA and walk right into opportunities to grow as a professional and leadership opportunities because it happens immediately. You don't have to sit and wait your turn for 10 years. You walk in the door and in many instances, you will put the work and you have opportunities to shine and to enhance your leadership within professional associations. With that two minutes or less. <laughs> And I would just add that you, you can uh, count on being mentored, not right. only at this conference, but in the future uh, by those who attend SACSA and, uh, and have that a part of their um, responsibilities. So I want, would like them to know that they're going to be connected with somebody, several somebodies, by just virtue of attending this, this organization and having your mind open and, uh, and willing to, again, put up your hand and say, I'll be involved. And I would echo everything that Suzanne and Ralph said, but I would also add, I was challenged um, around diversity lens. There were times that some of my colleagues, African-Americans would challenge me on thoughts. And, and I still remember those conversations. And you know what? That was the best thing for me. I mean, I was able to, because you're able to get involved and you get invested in SACSA. So I would tell people that it's going to open these conversations for you that you might not get elsewhere. Mm -hmm. That's great. I, um, the last episode that just aired was with past president, Sean Boda Mead. And she said her first involvement was decorating for the awards banquet or the awards luncheon. And she worked from there up to being president. I said, you must've done a really good job with those balloons. So, um, <laughs> but I do think that's true. It is, um, you know, you've all talked about people bringing you in, but not just bringing you in and leaving. Well, we got you there now go have fun. It's we're bringing you here and now here's an opportunity. You would be good at this or, um, 
you know, you mentioned earlier, Ralph, someone didn't show up. So now you're going to do this. So it's Suzanne. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. You know, after I had been in part of Saxon for a few years, just out of the blue one day at the conference, Don Gearing walks up to me and he says, I've been watching you for a few years. It's it's your time now to get to the executive council. And I guarantee you that same conference, Fred Rose did the same thing. So I think they got into cahoots together and decided <laughs> to do that. And the next thing I know, I was nominated to be a part of the executive council. But I was just stunned you know, to realize that these seasoned professionals were watching us, looking at us as young professionals, and really determining that they're going to not just uh, haphazardly leave. They were intentional. They were watching us and they were deciding, you know, okay, this person has demonstrated leadership. So it's time now. And they openly said, you're going to be nominated. And I said, okay. And there we went. <laughs> I agree. Oh my gosh, that is so true. Um, it's a little scary if they even saw things in you that you didn't even see. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I remember Bob Bobby Leach cornered me at one of the the conferences, and you know, basically the same thing, Ralph. You know, I'm I'm watching you, mm-hmm. and he did. That's great. All right, mm-hmm. so you know, as you think to the future and what the opportunities are, what the challenges are that we're navigating as we move ahead. Um, what what does the future of Saxo look like in your imaginations, hopes and dreams too? I guess that, that all that we've talked about today continues, right? And uh, and even is is stronger in the future, and that that it's not lost. Um, you know, there the that. Although Joe Buck was at the re- registration tables, I hope you'll be at the registration. I'm sure you are, Tony, already. But you know that other that the executive board is at the registration table. Right. People are taken aside and and uh, talked with um, by the executive board and by uh, continuing members of SAXA about SAXA. The history of SAXA, I think, is so important, mm-hmm. and people need to know it and know that they have a place in the future of SACSA. You know, I, I so the last two years, as I have uh, attended the conference and interacted with younger professionals, one of the things that I actually am concerned about is losing some of the wonderful traditions that we have throughout the conference, as well as the uh, entire year. And so as I have shared with uh, folks in leadership, they're like, oh, I didn't know we did that. Or I didn't know we did that. So I think we have to be much more intentional about making sure that we are transmitting from one generation to the next, those things that make SACSA so special and so uh, unique uh, and and provides a a great great experience. And, And so I'm now, making it my <laughs> my personal mission to have those conversations with the leadership that say, you know, I know that change is good and I know that we move forward and things do change, but just in case you weren't sure, here's a tradition that I thought was really neat in case you want to reconsider. And so that's what I, you know, like there were several Saxon members at this past conference 
who had no idea that we used to have a completely different meeting schedule. That we used mm -hmm. to start on um, Monday or Tuesday and go through Wednesday. No, no, we would start on Wednesday and go through Friday. Friday, yeah. They did not know that, had no idea. And this is only, what, about 10 to 15 years Ten ago years when ago. that stopped? Yeah. You know, and so I think we need to make sure that we are maintaining that kind. Maybe there ought to be a session on just some history. Uh, I know we do some things, but those traditions that uh, I, you know, I love the tradition of the gavel and the gravel. I love it, but it's not the only one that I think is important to Saxon. Yeah, one of the things that Kristen Walker Donnelly has done is in the Saxon Alert, you'll notice there's a history column, there's a history article every month. Mm -hmm. And she's done a really good job, Ralph, I think, trying to remind us of those um, significant historical events that we don't want to lose um, and we want to build upon them. Uh, right. So I, I think you're correct. I think finding that balance is 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 critical for us because it's, it's the core of who we are. But I'm like you, we also don't want to not change, but we don't right. want to lose. We don't want to lose um, what made us special or what makes us special as an organization. So, uh, so and I, I'll say I, that I promise I'll shut up. For example, I don't want modernization or use of technology to minimize the personal touch of Saxon. Yeah. You know, uh, at our conferences and throughout the year, obviously we want to utilize the technology, but don't make that become a substitute for the personal contact that we all have enjoyed over the years and uh, don't cut out important things to save time and that's what I think I'm responding to for your quick example one of the things that we used to do at the uh, awards luncheon it was a much more how shall I put it um, involved process of honoring the uh, you know honor reason we started cutting things cutting things cutting things to save time but I thought we lost some richness. And that's what I mean. Well, thank you, Ralph, for speaking up because I haven't been able to come. So I think it is important because I, I mean, I get warm and fuzzy thinking about some of those award luncheons. I mean, I could sit there and listen for a long time. Maybe I was so in <laughs> <laughs> like in all of that. I still remember Brick Cats. Oh my gosh. Oh yes, yes. I remember a, a statement that he said, I remember to this day when he received an award, where he says, when you get invited to the dance, don't forget to dance with those who brung you. Remember that? Uh -huh. <laughs> yes. I mean, I guess I would just say one thing, and I, I struggle because I have been out of sex, and thank you so much, like, Tony, for even, like, putting me in touch with Michelle, and, and thank you to Ralph that, you know, he'll when he comes to even some of the IASA stuff, it reminds me of what's happening at Saxo, take time to tell me what happened at the past presidents and all that. And so just thinking about, you know, how to keep people engaged. I mean, I will be back at a conference. Don't worry. Even though I'm going to retire, I'm going to teach and I'm going to be in Florida. I'll be back. Um, We're maybe, coming up on an anniversary soon. Right. Exactly. And maybe not and maybe not just sick, like forever, and I'll be in Portugal too, but I'll be in the United States and I'll be in Florida too. <laughs> but I have to have a little globalness and my localness. So, and my local is going to be in the region. So, but so thank you. I just want to say that I don't really 
have anything else to add about what I, on the future of student affairs, I, I mean, on the future of SACS, I do think on the future of student affairs, from an outsider, we really have to look at and really listen to the well-being conversation of our professionals and also about more balance. You know, I'm not here to be hazing the past professionals, you know, the younger professionals. Listen to them. We have to listen to them because here's the thing. I worked many hours in housing. Okay, I was a workhorse, you know, I mean, for sure, but that's not going to happen anymore. So we need to wake up and and really think about what that is, because also I think the well-being of um, folks is really, really important. So I hope that in the future of student affairs, and I'm seeing that in a different way because I'm not working in a, I'm working in a university where people love what they do and have passion. They're not all, um, and I said this, I think to Tony, they're not all educated in student affairs. There's one person that has a master's in higher education and we're not experiencing the great resignation but we have balance. If I could teach you, we have balance here to, for my staff. You know, I mean, if they work more than 40, 42 hours, we give them time. I mean, we have balance here. And um, that's something I appreciate more than ever. So I hope in the student affairs in general that they'll, that we'll look at that more and not think that we, they have to work as hard as we work to be good professionals and to be successful with, those, with our students. Mm -hmm. That's just something. It's a really good point. Lisa, it really is because, uh, I mean, balance was also always a, a difficult thing for me to deal with, and I don't think I did dealt with it very well, uh, but it is important to listen and to, uh, and to make some accommodations and some changes where we need to, and not, not to forget that you're right, that they're going to uh, put in the hours and the effort and so forth the way we did. Um, because their their effort will be important too, whatever it is, mm -hmm. because we're going to be training them. Right. And, you know, we um, whenever whenever there are students, there will be student affairs professionals. Mm -hmm. How we show up and how we prepare and how we perform may change, but we will always have a place in higher education, at least in the U.S. Yes. Um, so that's, I think the future is, is great in that sense. You know, we have to understand that we're here because we are those individuals who really help with that holistic development of our students. And I'll stop by saying one thing that uh, I remember Hardy saying all the time is that students are what dreams are made of. Mm -hmm. And she always said to project the future, ask what students are dreaming. So if we tap into that, we know that we will always be a significant part of the higher education scene. Well said. Well said, Ralph. I'm taking so many notes as you all are, are sharing. So, um, well, that's the end of, of my list of questions. But sometimes the most important question to ask is, what else should we have asked you today? Um, what else would you like to talk about? Or, you know, if there are some closing stories you want to share, I want to give you some space to have whatever conversation you all would like to. You know, I was sitting here, Tony, thinking about this. You know, this is a wonderful opportunity for us to have a conversation with several of us. 
wouldn't it be neat if we, I think we may have done this once or twice at a Saxon conference, but wouldn't it be neat to have an ongoing time every year where two or three presidents get interviewed by someone and folks can just come and listen to the stories and it's much more personal because we're there as opposed to it being, you know, virtual, just as a thought. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Um, I know the CEO conference has done that and had someone facilitate that conversation uh, among, you know, they do it about every five or six years uh, where they um, have someone facilitate just a, almost like a living room setting, you know, it's set right. up different. It's not in a formal with a microphone. It's a, they're sitting on couches and it's, so just, that's just talk. It's like, you know, I'm, yeah. you're invited to my living room. Right, um, exactly. Talk. So, uh, yeah. so I think it's a great idea. So I can definitely pass that on um, to the folks that are planning and, and working on Atlanta. The conference is in Atlanta this year. So for those of you who don't know, uh, it's in Atlanta. Suzanne, and get in your RV and drive on up. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. I mean, think about that, Ralph. I'm not sure where you can park in downtown Atlanta. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You know, I'm, I'll ask my hotel contact. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, like, that's kind of like a fireside chat or something, but I want, you know, when I, the only last thing I'm thinking of, too, is this essence in a, a, a you know, um, Saxa time, and Joelle started that, and I don't know, but for me, that Saxa time and that love that I felt, and and there was some hugging, and I know it passed post-COVID, but um and that kissy kissy, I think we used to call it, I can't remember, right? Tony used to things. Um, and I just want to say that there are so many people that have really meant so much to me throughout um, the SACSA, the conferences, the SACSA time, whatever that is. And um, I just want to look, it's just a great organization. And um, yeah, it just warms my heart. I might get a little too um, sensitive, but again, I'll circle back and it started with Dr. Hardy for me. So, um, and the life net, and I just hope that we can continue even with Saxa, the Saxa net, you know. Yeah, yeah, Lisa, I think your point is a good one. As I think about the last couple of years, I think it has been a struggle with, you know, having to cancel a conference and our executive board for the first time had to serve for two years. They all agreed to serve two years. So right. they served, Jason Cassie served as president for two years, probably the only person in history that will or has ever done that. Um, but what I'm reminded of, while the last two years may have been difficult, and I think Birmingham got us back on track, right? it showed the strength of our organization that we still managed to survive through COVID, through the canceling of a conference, both financially and emotionally, because this time it did feel like Saxa time. It did last year at Norfolk, but it was still sort of new. This year at, at Birmingham, it was it really felt like Saxa time, um, and and I think it we're, we're we're we proved our organization is strong because if we could get through the last couple of years, both financially and logistically, um, that's that's the heart of who we are. Absolutely resilient. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Wonderful. Yes. Well. I do have one more question for you and you can draw from whatever speaks to your spirit right now, but what is something that's bringing you some hope right now? And it can be personal, professional, whatever, whatever comes to mind. 
And Tony, I, I have I'd love to hear this. from you on this too. I'm yeah. sorry, go ahead. I, I have to share this. I'm so excited. You know, coming into profession, you never think <laughs> about how many lives you will will touch, how many young people you will have an impact on and mentor and things like that. And so when I was at Hopkins, I had the opportunity to mentor a young man who is now going to be inaugurated as Maryland's first African-American governor a week from today. Oh, that's and that's Wes Moore. He was one of my students at Hopkins and uh, the opportunity to mentor and support him and use all of that student affairs training that I had to help push him through Hopkins uh, is now coming full circle. And so for me right now, that's like is the most exciting thing. Uh, and so my wife and I will be at the inauguration on next Wednesday. I'm trying to get a group of my students here to uh, go over as well. And uh, I'm just I'm just still relishing in that entire thing and just to see that full that, circle. I just say something about Ralph. So when I was the, um, I don't know if you remember this, Ralph, Dean for Students on the Spring 2015 Voyage, one of your students was on my voyage. Yes. See, this I is how do. we're all. I just thought about this yeah. and this student the way they described Ralph is just the values that Saxa too and Dr. Hardy so I just had to say that while you said that it's just heartwarming because you truly have mentored so many and I've even heard it from your students just the one that was with me on that voyage for three months well thank you and I'm sure there are many many more too Ralph absolutely yeah well, this isn't this isn't uh, professionally, but uh, I do have a knee replacement coming up this month, oh. and so that's what I'm looking forward to. Wow! I'll check in on you. Yeah, yeah. please do. <laughs> please do. Yeah, the good news is I've heard it it goes well for people, and I believe it will happen to you too. So I, thank I'll you, be thank you. I'm hoping so. Yes, keep me in your prayers. January 23rd. Okay. All right. The only thing I will say that I'm a little hope I'm hopeful for is an again, I think because of my interest just globally um, since 1992, being more interested in what's happening in the world and being more globally aware and more interculturally competent, is that I'm seeing students that are interested in what's happening in the world and they're gonna make a difference. And that makes me feel good because. I am concerned about what's happening sometimes, you know, and um, outside that I know impacts our profession and that we talk about a lot. I know in the U.S. and even here and in other parts of the world, but I'm I'm hopeful that it, that we're going to have young leaders that we probably impact on profession that are going to make a difference in what's happening. And, and I, I got so caught up, I forgot. That was really my point, was to address your point that because he's being inaugurated, I have such hope for his administration and for Maryland. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay, Ralph. I just finished your comment. <laughs> no, no, right? <laughs> but I think that the word hope is, and we do have to put that in our in our young people that are coming up. And, you know, we've talked about that this too on, on this uh, podcast, but we've got to listen. And we don't necessarily have to uh, expect them to do the same things that we do did, um, but that they do have their own path to follow. And hopefully, we can support them uh, in in any way we can. 
because that's where our hope is for, for the future. Exactly. And that's in the students that are coming forward. Lovely. All right. Anything to add, Tony? I was just, I think Suzanne's comment made me think about, you know, when I think about hope, I, I'm hopeful that Saxa can fill that role. Yes. That Saxa can help them find their path to do things the way they need to do it, not necessarily the way we did it. Uh, and so I'm hope I'm hopeful that we can be that organization, at least professionally, that allows them to 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 figure that out, to figure that out where their path is going and who they are and what they want to be and what they want to become. And so I appreciate you saying that, Suzanne, because I think that it reminds me every day of how honored and hopeful I am about the future of Saxa, and I get to continue to play in it. Uh, and be a part of that and follow Joe. And uh, that's big shoes to fill, let me be clear. Um, but it's it's been, uh, I'm very hopeful for the future that we can that we can help those students do those things we all want them to do and be. And Tony, I just want to say, as, as I've been watching your career in SACS over the years, I am so happy for you. And thank you so much for stepping in and uh, following Joe, and you're going to create your own way of leading us forward. And I want to just say how much I appreciate Thank you. that. Thank you. And it's, I, a, it's a labor of love. And I agree with Ralph, and we'll be there to help you as past president. <laughs> yes, we're very fortunate to have you, Tony. And, uh, wow. you know, it's my pleasure. That. let us know how we can help. Absolutely. I will do that. My pleasure. Thank you all. Yeah, you're all right. <laughs> Michelle, Michelle and I get to see each other every day. Oh, she's like, who is this man that they idolize? <laughs> yeah, Tony. Yeah, we we get to work together every day. Uh, I need to Michelle, so we have to have more conversations. All right, all right. And thanks, well, Michelle, for doing this too and pull, pulling this all together. It's yes. been great. Thank you. Absolutely, so much. absolutely. I am very grateful to you all. I'm. No, I think more than ever, time is a limited resource. And the fact that you all were willing to be generous and engage in the conversation. Um, I don't feel too guilty about asking because you seem to have fun doing it. But <laughs> um, but it really does mean a lot. And it really is in service to the organization and not just the past. But you all made this point, where are we going next? And what can we learn and bring forward and what are some of those traditions and rituals that we can um, continue to foster as an organization? So just one more time, thank you all very much for, for being a part of this today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. And great seeing you, Ralph and Lisa, too. It's been yeah, absolutely fantastic. fantastic. So today's SAX, uh, Essay Today podcast is brought to you by SAXA. Uh, an organization about which you heard a little bit this morning or whenever you're listening to this. And as always, we thank Saxa for their support. I'd like to leave you with a quote today um, from Dexter Perkins. And the quote is, history is a kind of introduction to more interesting people than we can possibly meet in our restricted lives. Let us not neglect the opportunity. My name is Michelle Botcher. It has been a pleasure to host this episode. Have a beautiful day.